Welcome back, Mencio family. Today, we had the NPR Regional Minister Randy Jaspers as a guest speaker. If you have any questions about Mencio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, glad to be with you again today. We have a guest with us who's going to speak today, and he is a longtime friend, Randy Jasper. Some of you know Randy. He's our regional minister. He's the Northern Plains region guy. guy. So, and he brought a two-by-four, yeah. and I'm not sure if, I asked him if this was to hit me with. I'm not sure what he's going to do with that later on, but I want to spoil his... So anyway, Randy is here to share with us. He's uh, kind of the pastor to pastors in our region, and so love this guy. He's been a huge part of our story and the story of this church, Missio. So uh, why don't you give him a warm welcome? Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, you may, you may not know me that well. I'm kind of behind the scenes. So as Josh mentioned, I serve as a regional minister, a pastor to pastors, work with about 50 churches, a third in Manitoba, two-thirds in this association, most of which are in North Dakota. And uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for welcoming Christy and myself today to be with you. It's so exciting to, uh, to be with you in your new home. Uh, we've been here once before in this place with you, um, but it's so exciting. Um, thank you for your prayers. If you think of me, um, think of me fondly. Is that how that goes? No. Um, think of me, pray for me <clears throat> as we interact with churches. And um, one of the things, you have such a tremendous shepherd. There are a number of our churches, though, that are looking for shepherds. And so that's sometimes where I get involved with a church, is to help them as they're in the process of looking for a pastor. And uh, we've got a couple of churches, uh, one in Manitoba, one in North Dakota, that are going to be uh, taking a, a close look at a couple of guys next weekend, and we're praying for that. Got another church here in, in our association that's taking a look at another guy, and probably have about another handful that we'll be looking for someone in the next few weeks or months. So if you think of those things, pray for those churches. Missio, you are a part of a group of churches. So you have sister churches around. We have 32 churches in the North Central Association. And those sisters are a little older than you, but they are still apart, and one of the cool things is to recognize, sometimes we don't even realize we have family beyond ourselves, because we're kind of tuned into what, what's happening locally, but to realize that there are others praying for you, to realize that you are an encouragement to other churches around the area, to realize that they are thanking God for what he's doing in your life. Um, you've got a baptism coming up, what, next week? Is that right? 27, okay, a couple of weeks. So I said, uh, they said it was at McDowell Dam. And I said, so it's a dunking at the dam. And uh, if, you, if you've never confessed Christ openly, that's the way to do what the Bible says. And so if you've got questions about that, please talk to, to Pastor Josh or one of the other folks here. It's such a cool time. I, um, about a month ago, I had a guy... Uh, said to me, he said, Randy, 
He said, I've talked about this for some time, and he was visiting from out of town. He said, I, can I talk to you about baptism? I said, so we, we, we visited a while. It was on Sunday afternoon, and I just said, hey, I said, you're in town. You've got family here. Why don't we just go down to the reservoir, and, and uh, we live in Jamestown, okay, and, uh, and do it. And he said, sure. And uh, we had talked before, and so he knew what it was all about and, and gone through some things, but just a tremendous time in his life. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for life. We give you thanks for this life that you invite us to, to be a part of, to be a part of what you're doing. God, I thank you for what you're doing through Missio. And in this community, God, I, I pray that new relationships would be fostered through whether it's having a neighbor over, getting together with them, or whether it's, it's at the park this, later this week, or whether it's at work. Father, it's getting closer time for school to get going, whether that's public school or private school or homeschool, just all those changes in life. May we hear from you today in a new way, in a fresh way, a way that brings you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So don't judge me. Anybody ever told you? Anybody told you that this week? No, no one ever did. Okay, uh, did you say that to someone? Um, you've heard that, though. Don't judge me essentially means what? I don't want to hear or know what you think about my decision to do whatever that is especially if it disagrees with my choice, right? It can be another way of saying, I don't think I should be held accountable for my actions, especially from you. You got a ticket for going 16 to 35 mile per hour zone? Don't judge me. Well, apparently uh, the police officer thought differently and the judge may well as well. But don't judge me can also address the opposite, the tendency we all have to want to be in control of things, especially when it comes to others. When we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, we receive his grace to cover our sin. We, we sang about that just a few minutes ago. We are now citizens of a different kingdom, write Paul and the author of Hebrews. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, as he taught and as he healed people. So what does this kingdom look like? You've been in a series on kingdom living. In short, Jesus says it's, it's to look like you and me. Now, not to put difficulty on us or, or to make us uh, uneasy about that. Matthew 5 through 7 is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a summary of Jesus explaining explaining what it means to live as part of the kingdom now, as a witness to those who don't know him of, of what life in the kingdom will be like when he returns. 
It's an upside-down kind of living. Instead of my being in charge, almost everything I read and hear urges me to do that. If the kingdom of God, of heaven, is truly among us, then he is in charge, not me. So where is the line between guidance and control? What about discernment? Jesus has some words for us. Before we listen to the text, I want to share with you that uh, one of the books that has really impacted me, I would say in the last 10 plus years, one of the top five, and yes, I've read more than five, is uh, Divine Conspiracy by a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. Some of the thoughts that I'm going to be sharing today are encouraged by some of the things that I've read from this book. Let me begin with a quote. And before I do so, it's, it's, it's about formation, Willard writes. It's about God's formation by the Spirit of God into the people of God. I don't know if that's his phrase or if I'm borrowing it from him or if I just got that from somebody else or made it up. Read a quote and then we'll listen to God's word together. We must start, Willard writes, at the point Jesus himself chose regarding the text we're going to be looking at in just a few moments. The nature of true well-being or blessedness and follow his order, Jesus' order through the setting aside of anger and contempt and absorbing lust and manipulation and payback and, and on to the forsaking of dependence upon human reputation and material wealth. Then we will be ready for what comes next. Willard writes that the first 12 verses of Matthew 7 if we take them out of the context of what comes before us, causes us to misunderstand and misapply them, making them incomprehensible. So let's listen to the words, to Jesus' word. If you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to read the first six verses of Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is this log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and then turn to attack you. Lord, again, open our hearts to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is not talking about ignoring discernment or instruction or appropriate correction. These words deal with our closest relationships to family, to friends, to coworkers, to neighbors. Jesus deals with the deadly way in which we try to manage or control those closest to us by blaming and condemning them and by forcing them upon, upon them our wonderful solutions for their problems. Three things I want to highlight this morning from our text. Jesus says that 
when we live as God's citizens, condemning just doesn't work. It doesn't work. He's already addressed anger and contempt, chapter 5. His words here, again, aren't understandable if if I haven't turned over to God those issues that then he addresses further in chapters 5 and 6. But when I do, Jesus pushes me to consider the part of me that desires to control others. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you measure, you will be measured. Jesus is not simply, or is not saying we simply ignore our responsibility to address the sins of our children, for example, so that we can get a pass on life. Say, well, if I don't call them to account, then maybe God won't call me to account on this. He says, in fact, the exact opposite. Active love under God's rule in my life means I treat those closest to me with even greater kindness and respect. Now, I don't know if it's true in you, but that often doesn't happen. In fact, the people closest, spouses, children, parents, friends, are those who seem to bear the brunt of our frustration. I have a cartoon of a wife suggesting to her pastor husband, she goes, I have an idea. Why don't you be grumpy at church and cheerful at home? Now, obviously, I'm not picking on your pastor. I'm confessing myself, okay? My own sin. Before a word comes out of my mouth, then what happens? My my wife, my, my kids can see it coming, and they've already set up their defenses because of what? Because of past critiques and and judging. Willard observes what many of us know. Most families would be healthier and happier if their members treated one another with the respect they would give to a perfect stranger. Jesus reminds us of the practical result. We get back what we give. Measure for measure. James writes, Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, but mercy triumphs. Over judgment. I must go back to the good news again. Luke records that in his first message back home, Jesus was handed the scroll and prophet Isaiah, and he turned to what we know as chapter 61 and began to read these words The Spirit of the Lord Yahweh is upon me. Because Yahweh anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the ones broken in pieces. To call liberty to the captives. And the opening from prison to those who are imprisoned. To call the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance for our God. To comfort all who mourn. And we need to do that, don't we, for those folks that are in Maui. 
to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a headdress instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Then one calls them oaks of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh, that he may be glorified. When we live as God's citizens, condemning just doesn't work. When we live as God's citizens, condemning contributes to our inability to see clearly. So imagine going to your local ophthalmologist. Do we have any here? No one's going to admit it, right? For an eye health appointment, only to find that she has this massive two-by-four sticking out of her eye. She has you sit in the chair, adjust the light, It proceeds to try to examine your eye. Now, can you imagine? I mean, she can't even get close without really damaging you. Perhaps you have a minor problem. You're going to have a major one after she examines you, right? It's absurd, right? That's the point. Jesus asks, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's this log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take that speck out of your brother's eye. Now, the Sermon on the Mount and the reason I'm sharing some of the comments uh, from, that Willard shares in, in the book, The Design, Divine Conspiracy, is that he takes a little different bent on some of these verses than what some do. Jesus seems to indicate that the plank, the the log, the beam, is condemnation. How can we claim to be under God's rule when we are living in this manner? So, the obvious question is, what do we do with sin in those close to us? Well, first there is a careful self-examination, isn't there? Then we address the sin in others carefully, always with the aim of restoration. The Apostle Paul has these words in Galatians 6, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? Of gentleness. And by the way, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. A few questions. Is it sin? Very well, likely, maybe. But I find that sometimes we begin to broaden that category broader and broader and put more and more things in there that maybe aren't sin, but maybe have to do with even preference. But we call it that. Another question. Am I the one to address it? Is my motive 
to restore? Am I truly willing to come alongside to carry, to carry the burden? Willard shares, we do not have, we do not have to, we cannot surrender the valid practice of distinguishing and discerning how things are in order to avoid condemning others. He's saying, we cannot say those things ought not be addressed. But we can, however, train ourselves to hold people responsible and discuss their failures with them. And even assign them penalties, if we are, for example, in some position over them, without attacking their worth as human beings or marking them as rejects. A practiced spirit of intelligent agape will make this possible. But that is a complicated task at best. Not only because we may not know how to do it, which is often the case, but also because those we appraise may not know how to take our appraisal in any other way than as an attack on their person. This is especially true today when people are so desperately seeking approval. Another comment by a guy by the name of Clarence Jordan Usually, when one clears up his own attitude and puts his own house in order, he finds that his brother's faults have pretty well disappeared. Frequently, another's splinter is merely a reflection in that person's eyes of the beam in one's own eyes. Discern, but without anger, without contempt, without condemnation. You know, we've talked about, we sang about God's forgiveness, about what Jesus did for us. Do you know him? Have you understood that what he did on that cross was to take away your sin, to remove it? The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, to give you life in place of that. How do you receive that? You have to do something for it? You have to somehow check off little things on a card before you get to the bottom and you can kind of sign it off and say, hey, yeah, now it's yours. No. It's by faith. It's by trust. It's by believing that what he did was done once for all. But it's for all who receive whatever it is in our past even if that past is not so far past. When we do, the Bible says, Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Later in that same chapter, he writes, if God is for us, who can be against us? When we live as God's citizens, condemning, third point, and there's three, no poem, creates resentment in those we try to help with our good things. It's verse six. I'm a farm kid from Iowa many years ago. Long time ago, folks. But 
it made no difference if I was trying to do something good for some calves or cows or hogs. They didn't care about the work involved in fixing fence, cleaning, repairing equipment, or improving things to benefit them. They were focused on one thing, themselves and their needs. They didn't understand what I was trying to do as good unless it involved feeding them. We have dogs as pets, but in the Middle East, dogs are often viewed with suspicion and fear. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy, and and don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus is not talking about limiting those with whom we share the good news. Quite the opposite. God gave the most precious pearl of his son to a world which killed him. Jesus is saying that when we condemn others, the holy things, the the pearls that we try to, to, to give them, are simply not discerned as such. When people view us as condemning them, they have no context for those good things, the the holy, the, the sacred things that we would share. And in their need, they become angry and attack us. They behave like dogs and pigs interested only in something to eat. It's as though they cannot hear us. So what do we do? with those closest to us who are not living in the right way. Well, Jesus says we deal first with our own heart and we love them. We don't ignore or neglect them. We love them with great wisdom and tact. God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. That uh, is not good news, no matter how we package it. Judge Judy may be entertaining to watch, but if others know us by that title, if they kind of call us Judge Judy, maybe there's something not quite right with our own beliefs about God nor life as his citizens. We're not getting into the next few verses, but Willard suggests that the asking, seeking, knocking of the next six verses are actually the positive response, the next step for what he's encouraged us to avoid. That asking, seeking, knocking certainly involves to our Lord, to our Savior, but that is a practical aspect to interact with others especially those closest to us, to just, hey, can we have a conversation? Not for the purpose of condemning, but for the purpose of interacting, to hear. And then through the relationship, to begin to address things appropriately. Missio, keep the good news about Jesus, good news. Kingdom living is in some sense a kind of upside down thing. That's the point. Lord, have I been doing any condemning lately? 
It's a question for us. Do I have any anger or contempt issues which you call me to give you first? Let's live in the freedom of His reign. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, convict me first of my own sin. And then by the power you use to save me, may I share your grace with others in need. Form me deeply as your child. Amen. Thanks again for listening, Missio family, and we'll see you again next week.